Our scripture reading today comes from the gospel according to Matthew, and I invite you now to stand in body or in spirit in honor of the gospel reading this morning. Hear these words from Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when, we, when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. You may be seated. Well, you may notice that uh, Andrew's name is still in the bulletin uh, to preach this sermon, and that's not going to happen this morning. It's funny because on Friday, he, he, he talked to me and he said, man, this Joseph, I, I love this Joseph sermon I've written. I'm going to be so disappointed if I don't get to preach it. Well, I'd imagine he's, that got overshadowed by joy, um, but we'll get to hear it another year. Um, well, this Advent season, uh, we've been looking at Jesus's arrival on the scene, and Advent means arrival. And so we've been looking at different characters in the Advent story and how they react to this good news of Jesus' coming. And last week, Andrew walked us through Zechariah and this long period of silence that Elizabeth and Zechariah had experienced before finally getting the news from God that they were, in fact, going to have a child who would later grow up to be John the Baptist. This week, we're going to be looking at Joseph. And if you read the Gospel of Matthew, it's funny because Joseph gets all the attention. Mary is almost like a footnote off to the side, uh, <laughs> which is funny because Mary does all the work. I remember when uh, Sophia was born, uh, it was a joyous moment. Uh, it was late at night, and uh, one of the first things Caroline said is, are you kidding me? Because Sophie looked just like me. <laughs> and, and she had done all the work. Uh, well... The good news is Mary gets all the focus in the Gospel of Luke, and we'll be looking at Mary more in depth next week. But this week, we're going to be looking at Joseph. And here are some things that we know about Joseph, just a little background. We know that he was a righteous man. And that means two different things. That means he was good, he was a good man, but it also means righteous according to the law. He was known as a good, law-abiding Israelite. And he, we know he was descendant from the line of Abraham and David, which means he was connected to this holy family that God had chosen to use to bring salvation to the world. We know Joseph was a craftsman. Traditionally, we think of him as a carpenter, but that word can also be used for a stonemason or someone else that works with their hands, someone who worked in the trades. So Joseph was a good, quiet, law-abiding man. He was a hard worker who worked with his hands. He was blue-collar. And we also know he was betrothed 
to marry. And being engaged to someone now is a big deal, but it was an even bigger deal back then. It was such a big deal that if you were engaged to someone and your fiance passed away, you were considered a widow legally. That's how serious this betrothal was. And one final detail that often gets glossed over but is very important for our understanding of this passage is Joseph was from a small town. Matthew tells us that Joseph and Mary lived in Bethlehem, which back then had a population of 700 people. 700. Now, I don't know if you've ever lived in a small town, but that's real small. That's not Noonan, that's Moreland, okay? That's good people, but it's rural. Sometimes there's not a lot going on. If you would ask Joseph how many stoplights they had in Bethlehem, he would have said three stop signs and a circle K. Their claim to fame was that Bethlehem is where King David was from, and also sheep. So Bethlehem was a suburb of Jerusalem, and so people from Jerusalem would come down to Bethlehem to get their sheep and go back up. So that was the main trade in Bethlehem, was sheep and shepherds. Now, as someone who grew up in a small town, I can confidently say that I am certain in Bethlehem, everybody was in everybody else's business. (laughs) It comes with the territory. News of Mary and Joseph's engagement would have been the talk of town. Everyone would have been buttoned in with their ideas for their wedding and and the memories from their wedding, giving input and asking what kind of cake was there going to be and is there going to be an open bar or not. And it's a good thing a lot of the time to have people in your business. (laughs) Folks would have been there to help them move into their new house. That wouldn't have even been a concern. They would have been laden with casseroles from the community, and the potluck dinners would have been out of this world. But remember, there's a flip side to small towns too. People talk, and your reputation bears a lot of weight. All it takes is one scandal to mark your name for life. Let me give you an example of what I mean when I say people talk. Uh, When I was 14 in my hometown, I got my first job washing dishes at a coffee shop, and I couldn't drive back then, and I didn't have a cell phone. My mom took me to work and dropped me off in the car. And this particular day, I walked in to work, and my boss said, what are you doing here? You're not on the schedule for today. And I said, oh. And I turned around and walked out, and I decided, you know what? Instead of borrowing a phone to call my mom, I'm going to walk home. It's just like a 20-minute walk. It'll be fine. And I had to walk along the highway to get back to my house. And while I was doing it, Five different cars pulled over. My teacher, people from my church, family, friends saying, is everything okay? What's going on? Why are you walking alongside the highway? And I said, I'm just walking home. And then I got home and my parents rushed to the door and they said, what's going on? We've been, we've been getting calls from everybody. Did you, people say you run away from home. What's happening? <laughs> it was a scandal. And that was just me walking down the street. Now, if that was the scandal of me walking down the highway, imagine the scandal of this scene. Joseph learns that Mary is pregnant and he is not the biological father. And Mary tells him what she's experienced, that this baby is God's child, not the result of any kind of affair. But Joseph is asking, can that really happen? He wants to believe Mary, but this seems like a scientific impossibility. And then even if he believes her, and that's a big if, the town's not going to believe it. It would be the talk of town for years. The law was clear. She had broken it, and it would follow them wherever they went. A betrothal ruined, and a child raised in public shame. 
You want to talk about scandal. Joseph is put in an impossible situation. He finds out Mary is pregnant and the baby isn't biologically his. And remember, the Bible tells us Joseph was a righteous man. He was a follower of the law. Now, according to Jewish law as a devout Israelite, Joseph was required to reveal her sin to the community. By the law, Mary would be severely punished for this apparent evidence of unfaithfulness. The law was clear. But on the other hand, Joseph loved Mary. He wanted to do right by her, and he didn't know what to make of this story that she told him, but he wanted to believe it. What if this child was from God? What if God, as unimaginable as this can be, chose a woman in Bethlehem that nobody knew to be the mother of the Messiah, the Savior of all humankind? It's an impossible situation, and Joseph is in the midst of some deep discernment. Now, discernment is a Christianese word that we throw out a lot, but it essentially means a period of stopping and listening. Henry Nouwen, one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, describes discernment as not a matter simply of telling the difference between right and wrong, but rather discernment is an acquired capacity to sense those places where God is opening the future and calling us forward. Maybe we haven't been in Joseph's same situation, but I think we've all been in a place where we feel torn between what feels like two impossible choices. And in those moments, we are called to stop and to listen. Because God is alive and working, whispering, making a path clear that we couldn't see before. One of my favorite authors of all time is Mark Twain, and I especially love his book, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. If you haven't read the book, I highly recommend it. It is an excellent work of fiction. And it follows the story of this young boy named Huck Finn, and Huck runs away from his home because of his abusive father. And so he's run away and he's going down the Mississippi River while his father is trying to chase him down. But one of the major conflicts of the story has to do with Huck's accidental friendship with a man named Jim. The story takes place in the South right before the Civil War, which is significant because Jim is black and he is a runaway slave. And Huckleberry has been told his whole life that it is sinful to help a slave escape. And he's been taught that it goes against the teachings of the Bible. And as a matter of fact, he was taught that anyone that ever helps a slave escape would burn forever in the afterlife. The law was clear. And so all along their journey down the Mississippi River, Huck feels compelled to turn Jim in to the people trying to catch him. But the problem is, as Huck gets to know Jim, he realizes that Jim is a wonderful human being. He's a great friend. He's always looking out for what's best for others. And he's, all he's asking for is his own freedom. And Huckleberry feels like he has to make an impossible choice. The law he's been taught says he must turn Jim in. And if he doesn't, it is an unforgivable sin. But there's something else inside him that just loves Jim too much and won't let him do it. And there's this great moment towards the end of the book that is a moment of discernment. Convinced that he should obey the law and turn Jim in, Huck starts writing a letter to the slave owner that was looking for Jim to tell him where he could find Jim. But as he sits down in the quiet and starts to write this letter, there's a whisper of a voice inside of him 
that keeps reminding him of all the memories that he's made with Jim, memories of Jim helping him along the river, memories of laughter they had together in their friendship. And in this decisive moment, that's the climax of the book, Huck stands up and holds the letter, and I'll read you the quote. He says, I took it up and held it in my hand. I was trembling because I'd got to decide forever betwixt two things, and I noted. it. I studied a minute, sort of holding my breath, and then says to myself, all right then, I'll go to hell and tore it up. Now as a young boy, this is Huck's way of saying, I know what the law says, but there is a greater voice speaking. And he resolves then to do everything he can to help Jim find his freedom. The law was clear, but the whisper was telling him something else. Well, in our gospel reading today, Joseph has his own moment of discernment. He's torn between being righteous according to the law and his love for Mary and the possibility that God might be doing something new. But with a broken heart, he goes to sleep and he's resolved to leave her in the night quietly to minimize any disgrace to their family. But in his sleep, a voice whispers, An angel speaks to him and tells him that Mary was speaking the truth. The Son is from the Holy Spirit, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. And I'd like to imagine that Joseph had written Mary a letter, explaining to her why he had to leave. But when he woke up from this dream, he took that letter and he trembled as he held it up and said, all right then, I'll break the law because God is on the move. And he tore it up. Joseph doesn't have the roadmap for what's ahead. He has a promise that this child is from God. And he has promises of who this child will grow up to be, the savior of the world. And he has no idea what each day will look like getting there. But those promises are enough. And he knows that when he is ever in doubt, God is speaking into the impossible. This Advent season, we don't have a roadmap for what's ahead. We have the promise and the knowledge that Jesus, the Savior of our sins, has arrived and that he has taken on the sins of the world and been resurrected into new life. And we have the promise that he will come again when creation will be fully redeemed and truly made new and we will be in full communion with God. But we have no idea what each day will look like getting there. But here's the good news. God is speaking into the impossible. May we stop and listen for the whisper because God is on the move. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks that you are not a God who is far away. You are not a God who has abandoned us, but rather you are a God who is alive with us in this sanctuary, with us here today, still speaking and still shaping your people. Lord, as we approach this table, we remember what it means to be in communion with each other and in communion with you, God. May your grace empower us to continue to follow you as we prepare for your coming arrival. Amen.